0: hey there it's Gary Parish it's Friday December 14th 2018 welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast I got Matt Norlander here with me and we spent some time earlier this week discussing Kentucky specifically how Kentucky's non-freshmen have mostly been disappointing or at least inconsistent except for Reed Travis and how UK's five-star freshmen hadn't yet made a five-star impact except for Keldon Johnson. Then on Wednesday afternoon, one of the non-freshmen left the program. Quade Green is transferring. He averaged 9.3 points in 25.6 minutes per game last season. His minutes were cut to just 17.8 per game this season. Only played eight minutes two games ago against UNC Greensboro. Only played 10 minutes last game against Seton Hall. His role was obviously dwindling, so a transfer makes sense. And as long as he enrolls somewhere in January, he should be able to play next December. To be clear, I I don't think losing quad green is devastating it might not matter at all but we did spend a whole lot of time in the offseason talking about how John Calipari had three non-freshmen who had already averaged more than 9.0 points per game at the high major level and how that was a rare and good thing but now John Calipari doesn't have that anymore you know I did a CBS Sports HQ hit bright and early this morning and Casey Cairnan, one of the many fine HQ hosts asked me where UK would rank in the SEC right now I said uh, definitely behind Tennessee and Auburn, probably behind Mississippi State, too. So let me pose the following questions to you, Norlander. One, does losing Quad A Green matter? Two, if you were ranking SEC teams right now, where would you have Kentucky?
1: Losing Quad A Green matters, Parrish. Um, I, I believe that he was a, even though his minutes had been cut, um, I think over the course of a season, specifically with this Kentucky team, Kwadi Green's presence would have made an impact. Um, He was, you know, shooting 42.3% from three-point range on just 26 three-pointers, but that was still second most on the team, and... Kentucky's issues from three-point range, both shooting and defending, are significant. In fact, I have that in Wednesday's court report if you want to go look at it. They've never been this bad defensively under Cal from three-point range, and offensively, they are worse than they were last season when they were notoriously bad, and Quade was at least helping that to a certain extent, but just you know, for one reason or another, this was not a situation that he was satisfied with. Um, he's a fine player. I felt he was a little bit overrated coming out of high school, and that's nothing against him. It's just where he happened to land in the rankings. I didn't think he was quite at that level. Um, and he actually had some good moments as a freshman last season. I thought he would wind up being like a top three, top four player of importance. Like I was damn near convinced of it, Parrish. It just wasn't. It wasn't meant to be. And you know. Cal is no dummy, and uh, he was able to get out ahead of this. And I would say, like, this... Quaddy's not the first player to transfer out of Kentucky. Cal's had a number of them, just like so many other coaches. But um, this was not a, a messy divorce whatsoever. Um, and, you know, that kind of thing obviously will benefit both parties as they, as they split going forward. As for your SEC question, where Kentucky would rank right now, <laughs> I mean... Uh, definitely way behind Tennessee and Auburn, who uh, I think are two of the 10 best teams in in the country at this point. Um, From there, I I, want to say third, but I can't. I would say Mississippi State has been better to this point than Kentucky. And elsewhere, that's probably where they got to land. I'm looking at these standings right now. Better than Florida. I would say Kentucky is still better than Florida, even though Florida's got some interesting things about it. Um, better than LSU, I think, although LSU lost uh, lost one it should not have lost at Houston. Um, and then, you know, Arkansas, Vandy, Bama, I still think Kentucky's there. So I'd say firmly fourth, which is below what Kentucky fans thought it would be or, or what it should be and let's check in six weeks from now, see if that's still the case. But I, I will say this, Parrish, like even if it takes Kentucky a little bit while longer to get things right, even if they lose when we watch them at the CBS Sports Classic in Chicago, if we check in mid-January and Kentucky is worse than fourth in the SEC, I would be fairly surprised. I'm not seeing how this team's talent allows it to drop that far.
0: Um, in addition to that, you know, just um, the talent should at some point allow them to be something close to what they were supposed to be um to be outside of the top four in the sec that means that four teams follow me here got to be better than you and i like i don't know that four teams are, are better than kentucky even right now when Kentucky's not very good right now because the league has been and i was high on this lead in the preseason and it looks like i'm gonna be wrong about it tennessee and auburn terrific mississippi state rock solid but florida disappointing lsu disappointing and then what else matters in the league uh you know outside of Kentucky i don't think the league is nearly as good uh, or certainly it hasn't been nearly as good uh through december 14th um as we thought or at least i thought it was going to be
1: yeah i agree um you know, we haven't really spent too much time talking about the league on the whole uh you know I, I, it's 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 kind of bizarre to be honest Parrish uh when you look at the talent and the coaching in the sec you know it's been great that Auburn and Tennessee have been so good. Um, and they have been really, really good. don't don't get it wrong. like they've they've been great and maybe they'll wind up carrying the banner for for the league overall this season. but uh, I would I would say that the big 12 ACC and Big Ten have been noticeably better and we are about at the point where you can you can draw a pretty thick line in Black Sharpie between those top three leagues and then get to Big East, SEC, Pac-12, the American. Um, the SEC we thought would be lo- right up there at the top, but it, it hasn't been that, and barring you know, significant runs here in the final two weeks of December from, from the conference, and there aren't a lot of big non-conference op- opponent opportunities, the SEC is, you know, just from a non-conference standpoint, it's going to have fallen short of expectations.
0: Yeah, because right now there's only five SEC teams in the top 50 at Kempom. One of them's Florida, which is a 5-4 and four team that has lost to Florida State, Oklahoma, Butler, and Michigan State. So they haven't really lost to a bad team, but they've lost a, a lot uh, of times. Uh, LSU, which was preseason top 25, has got a loss to Oklahoma State. and You mentioned a loss at Houston uh, earlier this week. Arkansas has got a home loss to Western Kentucky. Ole Miss is... Hasn't taken a bad loss, I, I don't think. The losses are to Butler and Cincinnati, but they really haven't beaten anybody either. So Kermit Davis is doing a good job, but I don't know if that team's for real. Vanderbilt, of course, loses Darius Garland. They're not going to be what they were supposed to be. Alabama's got a loss at home to Georgia State. Got a neutral court loss to Northeastern. Texas Tech's 3-4. and four. Uh, Missouri obviously loses Jonte in the preseason. They've got a loss to Temple um, on the resume already They beat Central Florida, that's fine But I don't know how good Central Florida is And then South Carolina's 4-5 and five, And Georgia's totally rebuilding under Tom Crean So um, I- I'm not high on Kentucky right now But I'm with you I'll be surprised if they don't finish in the top 4 in the league um, If only because I don't know who else is going to finish in the top 4 uh, In that league I got a tweet from a Kentucky fan Because they're kind of flipping out As they do um, when-, when things don't go perfectly And I don't know that this is a representative of the entire fan base. I, I would assume that it's not. But he was like, listen, it's just uh, recruiting is flipped on Cal. And, you know, now we're not getting the same level guy. And this is the byproduct of that. If you were a Kentucky fan, would you assume that the best John Calipari years are now in your rearview mirror?
1: Mm. Very big question. Uh, I would not assume that the best years are in the rearview mirror, because I think Cal, who initially, uh, in year one, Cal said, I will not be at Kentucky more than a decade. Well, that's not going to wind up being the case, as I believe, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, yep, this is year 10, and he is right. not uh, he is not leaving after this season, barring something that's really just unforeseeable, frankly. Um uh no, Kentucky will continue to haul in you know at worst top five recruiting classes, but in many years top two classes, top three classes. And when you are bringing in that much talent, and you're Kentucky in that conference, um, I still think there are going to be chances to win national championships, get good seeds in the NCAA tournament. Um, how many Final Fours is Cal have at UK? He's right done, now? He's five, done, five done four, four in four? the
0: first nine years.
1: Okay, if you really wanted to get specific and you wanted to say over under four more Final Fours for Cal Kentucky or set it at three point five, I'd take the under just because getting to the Final Four is so hard. So if you wanted to say we won a national title, we've been to four Final Fours, it's downhill from here. Okay, maybe I buy that. Um, but I still think that Kentucky is going to remain as relevant and interesting and good as it's been for at least another three or four years because I think that's how long Cal is going to be there. Parrish, I posit to you, 0.5 national titles for Kentucky for the remainder of John Calipari's tenure. Are you going over or under?
0: I think John will get one more. Mm-hmm. I think John will get one more. I think Bill Self at Kansas will probably get one more. Uh, I, uh, I, I just believe that if you continuously get – players that give you a realistic chance to go win six games in that tournament. Um, If you do it time after time, after time, after again, and you, you, you've got one of the five best teams in the country, you know, basically every year or every other year, uh, you'll break through again at some point. I do think John Calipari, if, if he stays at Kentucky, let's just say another five years, I would assume he gets another title. Sure.
1: Yeah. I got asked on the radio earlier this week, uh, over under, um, one national, or 0.5 national titles for Chris Mack if he's at Louisville exactly 10 seasons. I actually said over. I think it get get Mack at Louisville for a decade, I'll 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 gamble I'll take one. If we're going 5-year window for Cal at Kentucky. <laughs> that's actually a tough one. That's a that's a little bit of a toss up. But five more years, I ah, it's just so hard to win a title, but I would say I would say yeah, I but it's like 5149. 49 9 me saying yes there. Um you extend it to seven or eight years, I have a lot more confidence just because I feel like when you've got that much talent year over year over year it's going to add up but we'll see how long how much longer Cal is going to stick with this I still think it's at least at least 3 more seasons in Lexington but if you're a Kentucky fan I understand there's a little bit of uh just shakiness. the team's not as good as you thought it would be um you know, if not for a Keldon Johnson half-court miracle, you would have lost in regulation to Seton Hall, and you wound up losing that game overall. And you just want to see some, uh, some big wins here and see a lot of this payoff and it just hasn't happened yet. And then lurking around the corner next weekend, of course, is the game against UNC, and uh, that obviously won't, uh, won't do anything to uh, stop the nerves from fraying.
0: You know, John is only 59 years old, and I, I put quotes around only, but he suggested before that he could coach till he's 70. So it might not be five more years. It could be another decade. And if he's there another decade, I would assume that he gets um, at least one more national title. But the question, the way I presented it, long as we're being honest, probably a little bit of a loaded question uh, because asking, and, and you, you, you highlighted this, asking if John Calipari's best years at Kentucky are in the rearview mirror, um, the answer is probably uh, yes but it doesn't mean Kentucky won't be great it just means that my god what he's done in these first nine years is uh, I think you can reasonably argue even though Jay Wright's got more national titles um, I think you could reasonably argue that what he's done in these past um, nine years at Kentucky is, is is as impressive as what anybody's done you know he's got twice as many final four appearances as any other coach uh, in that stretch and so you probably are safe to assume the next nine years won't be as good as the first nine, if only because the first nine were amazing. Um, similarly, you know, I could ask this question. Do you think Jay Wright's best years are behind him? I mean, they probably are, right? Yeah. I mean, he won, he won two after the past that, three yes. championships. Yeah. Best, his best seasons are probably in his past, but it doesn't mean Villanova can't still be great and nationally relevant. I think Villanova under Jay, even though struggling this season, uh, will continue to be great um, and nationally relevant. And I think Kentucky... Even though struggling this season under John Calipari will continue to be great and nationally relevant. Before we go any further, let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online, it can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be not with SeatGeek. And that's because SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites for you. That way you know you're getting the best prices, the best seats, the best value. always. You just type what you're looking for into the search bar, and three, three clicks later, you're buying tickets. It could not be simpler. For instance, let's say you want to do what I'm doing on Sunday specifically take your family to Sesame Street Live, like I'm taking my family to see Sesame Street Live, you can get tickets via SeatGeek. Just type Sesame Street Live into the search bar, hit enter. The options will be right in front of you. When I checked this morning, seats were as low as $29. You could get on the floor right in front of the stage for like $68. And if you make the purchase, you got the tickets because every purchase made through SeatGeek, fully guaranteed. So next time you need tickets to anything, basketball games, football games, Broadway shows, concerts, whatever, just open that SeatGeek app on your phone and get after it. And don't forget to use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's promo code COLLEGEBB to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. At SeatGeek, life's an event. We have tickets. So we. it's been a bad week for college basketball games. That's why we didn't open this podcast talking about anything that happened last night or the night before because nothing that interesting happened last night or the night before. but on Saturday we do have a pretty good schedule. I'll, I'll run through it and then you tell me what stands out to you. At noon Eastern uh, you get number 17 Villanova at number one Kansas. Noon Eastern you get number three Tennessee at Memphis. 3:45 Eastern you get Butler, Indiana in Indianapolis. Seven o'clock Eastern, number four Gonzaga at number 12, North Carolina. Seven o'clock Eastern, number 13, Virginia Tech against Washington in Atlantic City. 8:30 Eastern, Cincinnati at number 18, Mississippi State. Nine o'clock Eastern. The South Dakota State jackrabbits are at Nevada. What do you like
1: there? There's a lot, but let's start. Uh, let's start with the stuff that'll be on our airwaves here, GP, and that's the Crossroads Classic, uh, which is a great annual event. I have a lengthy feature on Romeo Langford that's up at CBSSports.com. Uh, feel free to go check that out. Um, it, you know, Real quick on that, Romeo has been very good this season. I, I've got him as a top five freshman of statistical impact and overall value. Um, hasn't gotten as much shine as the Duke guys, which is to be expected, but it is a little interesting because Romeo was... Uh, just uh, an unbelievably massive deal in that state for the past four years. So the story gets into that, and it gets into frankly, how great of a kid he is behind the scenes. Like you know, there are plenty of five star prospects who come with a lot of headaches, some ego problems. And I can't even fault a lot of these seventeen eighteen year olds some of the time because when you are ranked nationally from the age of fourteen, fifteen on, and you've got the biggest names in the sport, you know, courting you for all these years, like if you're gonna be a little, a little entitled in the head like it's not a great thing but it's just kind of unavoidable but in speaking with multiple people around uh Lankford, his family and that program it is just not the case whatsoever he's exceedingly normal and that alone I think is pretty interesting he has been really really good so just uh give that uh give that a read if you can but Indiana plays Butler that's the second game the first game is Purdue Notre Dame worth watching just for Carson Edwards who continues to be what we thought he would be In terms of a a stat monster, a scoring monster, a shooting monster, just a monster. Um, Notre Dame is young. Uh, It's got its issues, but it could be a fun game. I think Purdue will win that one. Indiana Butler is just one to keep an eye on because Butler is 7-2. It's good again. Archie Miller, I spoke with him this week. He had only really, really good things to say about Butler. So, this is not going to be easy for us at all. The kind of team we're facing here um, is not like a lot of the schools that we face. It's, it equates to a tournament type game, and, and we know that uh, Laval Jordan's team can get it done. So, I'm interested to see how Butler plays in that game, how it approaches going up against Lankford. You know, Indiana also has Juwan Morgan. Who was a top five returning player in the Big Ten heading into the season, in my opinion. Um, but Butler's not short on guys who can ball out. Kamar Baldwin's really, really good. Paul Jorgensen leads the team in scoring. So before we get to the other ones, Paris, I'll kind of volley this back to you. I'm intrigued just with with Indiana Butler because Indiana's a top 25 team. If Butler wins, I would think it will crack into the rankings. But this is the kind of win that the Bulldogs don't need. But if they get it, it will be one really good for the Big East. But two, it'll just be that just that flicker, that reminder. Hey, this this program again, like it's it. It's still tournament quality year after year, no matter who the coach is. So I
0: think there's a a, a decent gap in terms of per, uh, perception between Indiana and Butler because Indiana is ranked. Butler is not because Indiana has a lottery pick freshman. Butler doesn't because Indiana is coming off a big nationally televised win over Louisville. Butler's not and uh, Butler's best win is over a disappointing Florida team. But in reality, these teams are, are comparable. I, I think at Ken Palm right now, Indiana's 25th, Butler's 26th. So this might not look like a coin flip game to a casual college basketball fan, but in, in reality, it's basically a, a, a coin flip game. This is probably a, a much more competitive matchup than, than, than maybe the AP polls suggest.
1: Uh, I, I think you nailed it, and I think it's got a great chance of being a really close game I'll take Indiana to win. Maybe pull away a little bit late, but we will. Uh, we'll see on that. Uh, elsewhere, yeah, you you said it. Great, great week. Uh, weekend Saturday, particular games. Let's let's go to Chapel Hill. You got Gonzaga, North Carolina, two top ten teams. Um, North Carolina still rates well across multiple metrics, despite the fact that it's got two losses. I had my, my my power rankings debut this week at CBSSports.com, not to be confused with the great GPs daily top 25 and one. The way we get to those rankings are not exactly the same. I have Carolina 18th just because, frankly, uh, the way that they have played has been good, but they do have two losses and don't stack up as well or as impressively as other teams. I've got Gonzaga top seven, of course. I think that this will be a game decided in the low 90s. I think it's going to be an awesome watch. I'm particularly intrigued by what Josh Perkins is going to do against North Carolina and its younger backcourt, Kobe White, is supposed to play, which is a big deal for UNC because Kobe White has been fantastic. Um, I want to see if Nasir Little, who's been good but been continuously coming off the bench, what he does there. This is... This is quite a game. Uh, Gonzaga has scheduled, you know, Mark Few told me earlier this week, he's like, you know, you do this schedule in the offseason, you get so excited about these opponents. And then I'm sitting here in December, I'm like, what the hell was I doing? Like, what was I thinking? And then again, I thought I'd have Killian Tilly. I still don't. But, you know, Illinois, Arizona, Duke, even, you know, A&M's not a super great team. But it is a, a major conference team. They played at Creighton, had a tough game against Washington, just played Tennessee, and now go all the way across the country to play North Carolina parish this is a uh, this is one to be really really excited about I just I, I love 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 and I know you do too these matchups between like big brands top 10 teams on a true campus environment in December on a Saturday I just you know college basketball does a decent job could do better but this kind of stuff is fantastic um, I think Carolina is gonna win that's a 7 p.m. tip on Saturday thoughts on the game yeah
0: um, I can understand how when you're right in the middle of it and you're coming off a loss and then having to play a game that you're expected to lose after being ranked number one in the country, why you might be frustrated if you mark few. Like, what, what did I do? Why, why did I do this? But um, in, in reality, it's, it's, it, it doesn't really cost you anything. Like, I think it's likely, because they're in a true road, true road environment against a good team, that is about to lose for the second straight time. And at the very least, they'll be an underdog. And so they'll be on a two-game losing streak after being ranked number one in the country. And that might lead some people to go, ooh, what's wrong with Gonzaga? Nothing's wrong with Gonzaga. Um, They lost to a Tennessee team that's excellent um, in the final minute. And, you know, if they lose at North Carolina, so what? Uh, Probably everybody that plays at North Carolina this season, except for maybe Duke is going to be expected to maybe Virginia, going to be if Virginia actually plays there. But like my point is, most people, regardless of of how good you are or aren't, uh, are going to lose at North Carolina. And when you are getting ready to play in the West Coast Conference and you've got the type of team that Mark's got and the type of team Martin knew he was going to have. I always think scheduling this way is advantageous because if you lose the games, they don't really hurt you, but if you win them, you're going to have a real case to present a resume that is worthy of a number one seed in the, in the NCAA tournament. And so Gonzaga's body of work is already terrific. They own the neutral court win over Duke. Uh, They got a true road win at Creighton. That's going to be a quad one win. Um, they've got the, the win over Washington, they beat Arizona on a neutral, and now they get a free swing at North Carolina. If they get it, I do think Gonzaga will then, you can pretty much pencil them in, barring something weird happening in the league schedule, for a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And if they lose it, I still think they'll have a chance to get a one seed in the NCAA tournament. So, um, tough task. I don't think anybody's going to have a two-game stretch anytime soon that features Tennessee and North Carolina, two top ten teams. But um, I'm glad Mark's playing it, and I can't wait to watch the game.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he's playing it as well. And, yes, the risks are worth the reward. Um, before I get to Nova Kansas, just a couple notes on two teams who are facing games this weekend that – you know, it's it's a lost compound issue if they don't get the wins. And that is LSU, which plays St. Mary's. You know, LSU should have beaten Houston. We talk about the SEC and the struggles it has. LSU 7-3. and three. It lost an OT game against Florida State. Wasn't competitive against Oklahoma State in November and then loses when it shouldn't. It lost against Houston. If it loses against St. Mary's, it's going to be 7-4 and four with its best win at home against Memphis, and it's got a great home opportunity against a Furman team that's still undefeated that's next Friday, but... It could You could get to the situation midway through the SEC season. LSU is just kind of treading water, and you're like, damn. Like they, they needed at least two of those wins. So that's a big game that's under the radar. The same thing is with Washington Parish. They play Virginia Tech, and it's in Atlantic City. Again, I, I, I don't know why. Maybe Parish wants to look up. You don't need to. I don't know why Washington and Virginia Tech are playing in at Atlantic City this weekend, but it's happening. Washington is 7-3. and Its losses have come at Auburn on a neutral to Minnesota and at Gonzaga. None of those are bad losses, but if you lose to Virginia Tech, get to seven and four, you're just not quite building up enough overall to get into the tournament. And the Pac-12 is down, so your opportunities aren't going to be uh, plentiful there. They don't have another good non-conference opponent, so those are two relatively under-the-radar games where teams need the wins this week, this uh, this weekend. You want to comment, or should I just uh, should I just keep rolling and go to Nova Kansas Parish?
0: I say keep rolling. Let's go to Nova. Okay, Kansas. Okay, Nova
1: Kansas is a noon tip and. Th- <laughs> I'm I'm just utter I'm completely fascinated by this game because I don't I don't know if Kansas will win by 35 or if Kansas will fall on its face because it almost lost to Stanford and if Villanova is gonna script flip this entire thing and get a big time win, keep an eye on that because the Javon Quinterly stuff we can update this real quick, you know. It was, it was a bad situation when we podcasted last. And since then, Quinterly has rightfully, as everyone knew, uh, said he wasn't hacked. He had a bad moment. He apologizes. Jay Wright has commented on it. And they seem to try and be – they're just trying to get this – all settled. Now we'll we'll see. You know, uh, some time from now if this is actually uh, going to get fixed or if they're just really putting uh, putting duct tape all over the situation. But Quinterly is still with the team, and we'll see how much he's able to even get on the floor on Saturday. That is a a notable subplot because Nova needs the win. Like they're probably not going to win, but they, but damn, you they just. They, not getting this win would be I think detrimental to them even, even thinking about getting a good seed in the tournament. And so there's no like, Javon come in, let's let's figure this out. You know what? i am I'm seeing more of what you're saying here. We'll try and get you on the floor more for this game. No, if you can't play in that game, you can't play and in that environment, Parrish. So how much is he gonna get on the floor? And how much will uh, those critical Villanova sophomores be able to contribute? Uh, it will be a fascinating one. Let's just wait and see if it uh, if it gets away from Nova early, or if or if Kansas, you know, keeps him in it and it's competitive from uh, from tip to final horn.
0: Kansas has not been super sharp, and it did struggle in its first game without Yudoka Azabuki. You know, had to rally to beat New Mexico State. I think Diedrich Lawson ended up scoring the final fourteen points for the Jayhawks, but. They were a 15 point favorite at tip off and were in a fight in the final minute. So, you know, who knows? But here's I think New Mexico State might be better than Villanova right now. Um, yeah. You know, there is nothing Villanova's done this season outside of beat Florida State that suggests they're equipped to go into Allen Fieldhouse and beat uh, the top ranked Kansas Jayhawks. Yeah. Um, you know, that, it, it, it hasn't looked like that at, at really at any point. You know, and honestly, like, nobody's equipped to go into Allen Fieldhouse and beat the Kansas Jayhawks uh, outside of maybe Duke or somebody like Duke. And so I'll be shocked if, if, if Villanova is able to uh, escape that place uh, with a victory. I, I do think um, it'll be interesting to see how Jay handles the Quinterly the situation because um, it was already getting attention, you know, from – people like us that he that he was a non-factor not playing got three dnps already this season but when quinterly went on instagram the other night and posted what he posted it, it became a, a a sports story as opposed to a college basketball story um like i had friends who don't really follow college basketball super closely who were texting me like oh did you see this quinterly kid posted on instagram about jay wright's not gonna put up with this is he um so it's a bigger story now than it was before and i will give uh, jvon quinterly credit he owned it um you know a lot of people in his position pretend they got hacked even though we know they didn't and he didn't he, he by all accounts went to the staff apologized pretty quickly apologized to his teammates he apologized publicly and seems at least at this point willing to try to fight through this and and, and stick it out so you know good on him for 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 owning his mistake acknowledging the mistake and and learning from it because he did say that he learned a lesson about about social media and it's a lesson i think for all young people and and perhaps even people my age that you know when you are a high profile person or at least a person with if you're the if you're the type of person who if you put something on social media it might lead to people outside of your family talking about it and certainly a high major five-star basketball prospect is, you know, qualifies as such. Um, be careful because it, even if you delete it within seconds, which Quinterly did, um, somebody's going to have a, a screenshot of it and it, it'll make the rounds. And, you know, I don't care whether you're, you're an 18 year old freshman, 22 year old senior, or 41 year old college basketball columnist and analyst like that's uh, that's probably something to keep, uh, keep in the in the back of your mind but um back to the game yeah Kansas I, I imagine I imagine Kansas rolls them why wouldn't it
1: I think they will roll them um roll them to the point of, I say 15 16 points I don't think it'll be a, a total blowout before <laughs> we get to the Sunday stuff Parrish just a couple of quick notes the Saturday presents you know, first of all it's going to be it's just a loaded day you know you know almost no college football um and there's a couple NFL games but there's there are either um Notable teams or ranked teams that are in spots to get picked off by inferior opponents. Um, Arizona State goes to Georgia. Arizona State's ranked. Keep an eye on that. Belmont is at UCLA. I'm telling you right now, that is an upset watch. I've also got an upset watch for Sunday. I'll get to once we get to that day's game. So keep an eye there. And I want to know, Parrish, what you think about South Dakota State playing at Nevada. Because... SDSU is a really good team. Nevada's awesome. I know you think Nevada's going to win, but you saw South Dakota State in person uh, recently. They also just put up ninety against Savannah State <laughs> earlier this week in the first half. In the first half, um, it's a really talented team that should make the NCAA tournament. I think that they can give them a game. Um, so I wanted to, to give you that. So your thoughts on South Dakota State and his chances there, and also. Another one that's just a ranked team that just keep an eye on it, like if Tennessee goes to Memphis. You're going to be at that game. So give me a little bit on both of those because I think Tennessee is at least a little bit vulnerable a rivalry game. It's in Memphis's joint. Um, and I just I, at least flare on the radar potential upset possibility there.
0: Uh, let's take these uh, one by one. We'll start with Nevada, South Dakota State. Um, that South Dakota State team is capable of beating. Capable. Not definitely, but like they have the opportunity to beat almost anybody if they're shooting the ball well, uh, because they've got two players that could obviously play um, at the highest levels of the sport. Like, yeah, they are summit league players, uh, Mike Dom and and David Jenkins. But you could throw those dudes into any league in the country, and 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 they would they would they'd look the part. I saw them a couple weeks ago. Um, or maybe just last week at, at Memphis, and they just did not play well that night. So Memphis beat them. But but Dom's terrific. Uh, David Jenkins is terrific. I said this uh before. Um, Mike Dom is a two-time Summit League Player of the Year. He's going to be a three-time Summit League Player of the Year after the season, and then David Jenkins is going to become a two-time Summit League Player of the Year, assuming he spends his last uh two seasons at at South Dakota State. He was awesome against Memphis. Uh, inside FedEx Forum last week, and uh, if you've got those guys, you've got a shot. Uh, I don't think they'll beat Nevada, but that is not a nothing game uh, for the Wolfpack. Um, if we looked up and there was ten minutes to go in a game, and it was competitive, that that wouldn't surprise me at all.
1: Uh, no, it wouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I think they've got a shot. This could be a sneaky fun game, Parrish. Um, it's a nine o'clock tip. Uh, on Saturday night, and you're going to have to, uh, I think it's a watch ESPN, ESPN3 deal there. But it could just be, it could turn, if we talk on Sunday night and we we look back on this and Nevada wins, even if Nevada wins like 89, 80, uh, it could be a thrilling one. Dom is awesome on pace for 3,000 points. So um, I think Nevada will get a good push. And frankly, the kind of push where you think you're going to win, but you're playing a really good team, and afterward you're like, you know what, I'm glad we had that kind of opponent in this kind of spot. So just keep an eye on that. I tell you, but I, I do give Memphis a better shot at beating Tennessee than I do South Dakota State beating Nevada, primarily because of the venues overall. Tennessee is rolling; they they've been good, and I'm not saying this is a letdown game. And Memphis hasn't been, you know, exceedingly impressive. It's just five and four, but you just never know. I mean, you never know with this kind of with this kind of deal. I believe you're going to be in the building for that. It's what a noon tip there on Saturday, Parish.
0: Noon Eastern, eleven a.m. local time tip. I will be there, and it is the first sellout, uh, official sellout for a Memphis basketball game, University of Memphis basketball game, uh, since March 2009, since John Calipari's last home game as head coach of the Memphis Tigers, which surprised me because I thought they had filled it up a few times um, when Josh Pastner was the coach. And they did put 17,000, 18,000 in there several times uh, during Josh Pastner's good years. But in terms of being a star Look, every seat every ticket for every seat is sold uh this is the first time that memphis has has been able to do it since john calipari left the program and that just speaks to um the energy and enthusiasm that penny hardaway has been able to bring to the program he has really um very quickly predictably uh, got the community to to reinvest emotionally and financially and it's among the many reasons why it was a no-brainer for Memphis to, to, to move on Tubby Smith and, and hire Penny Hardaway. They had, and we've been through this before, uh, they've had, they had multiple problems. You know, They had an attendance problem. Nobody was going to the games anymore. They had a, a donations problem. Nobody was giving money anymore because donations were tied largely to season tickets, and nobody's buying season tickets anymore, and they had a recruiting problem, and Penny has, has fixed all of that. You know, the, the, the donations are uh, way up. Season ticket sales, way up. Attendance, way up. And recruiting, obviously, way up. They've got a top 15 class for 2019 committed right now, highlighted by James Wiseman, the consensus number one prospect in the class of 2019. The problem, of course, is that they still got a roster problem. Um, they're not very good. And it's got everything to do with what Penny Hardaway inherited from Tubby Smith, which is basically nothing. You know, Penny went out and, you know, put together a top 30 class uh, in the class of 2018 in a matter of weeks, highlighted by Tyler Harris, who has been terrific, by the way. It's a sub-100 guard uh, coming out of uh, Cordova High here in Memphis, Um, and he's like averaging 15 points per game, shooting around 40% from three-point range. If you are in front of a television on Saturday, that game's on ESPN2. Uh, Tyler Harris is worth watching. He's little bitty but just shoots it from all over the court and um, has already had – um, I, I believe he's the first Memphis freshman to score at least 20 points in four of his first eight games or something like that uh, since DeWan Wagner. He did he did things you know Derek Rose didn't do, did things that uh Tyreek Evans didn't do. He's really he's really been terrific. Um but and the truth is Tubby Smith didn't leave Penny Hardaway um the pieces to 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 go out and compete um the way Memphis is used to competing. I would imagine this is gonna be the worst roster Penny Hardaway has um as head coach of Memphis for a long, long time, if not ever. Um and so they they're they're obviously up against it. But I will say You know, home court advantage, as you know, is a big deal uh, in in college basketball. And when you get 18,000 people in there, um, it's just a 40-minute game. And for whatever it's worth, you know, Memphis played Texas Tech on a neutral court a few weeks ago and was beating them like double digits in the second half. And They just fell apart late. But if you can compete basket for basket for about 32, 33 minutes with Texas Tech on a neutral, then, yeah, you can compete basket for basket in a home court environment. Uh, with with Tennessee I think, I'm not predicting it I think Tennessee wins the game I think Tennessee wins the game probably comfortably But um, Do you give Memphis a puncher's chance? Sure, but if you're looking for a place Where they've got a real issue It's, you know Memphis is one of the smallest teams in the country They they go 5-9 They're starting 1-2-3 As Alex Lomax, Tyler Harris And Jeremiah Martin That's 5-9, five, 5-10, five, and 6-3 Tennessee, meantime, at the one-two-three, goes six-three-six-five-six-six. 6. So Memphis has got some real matchup problems in that backcourt. And um, you know, I, I talked to Penny Hardaway yesterday. He he acknowledges this and says that they'll do things to try to, um, you know, make that less of a disadvantage than it than it obviously is. But you know, when when Tennessee's going to run out there six-three-six-five-six-six 6 at the one-two-three, and you are going five-nine-five-ten-six-three, that's an issue.
1: It is. Uh, I, I don't I don't see Memphis winning the game, but I do see them making it interesting for a little bit there. And it's just another one on what is uh, what I think will be a very fun and loaded Saturday. So Saturday uh, filled with interesting games Sunday,
0: not as good. But there is a matchup between the A-10 favorite and an undefeated team. And we'll get to that right after this.
1: with a dead cell phone think about those adventurous activities you can do like me taking a ski trip up with the family maybe going on a camping expedition anything and everything learn more about the all-new hyundai santa fe at hyundaiusa.com call 562-314-4603 for complete details so at 3 3 p.m eastern on
0: sunday you get st louis that's the a10 favorite they're going to be at Houston, which might at this point be the AAC favorite. The Cougars are nine and zero, got wins over Oregon, BYU, LSU, and Oklahoma State. They lost three of the top five scores from last season's team that won 27 times and you know played Michigan to the final buzzer in the round of 32 to the NCAA tournament. Um, but still, they're they're nine and zero even with those losses. And according to Ken Palm, they're going to be favorites in each of their next 13 games. So. We've talked a lot about Nevada and about Virginia and about teams that that might be able to take a zero in the loss column deep into this calendar. Um, it looks like Houston is probably on that on that list as well. You a believer in Kelvin Sampson's team?
1: I'm a believer, Parrish. Got him 16 in the power rankings. They got that win and came back from 15 down against LSU. They've had a legitimate schedule to this point. I, I do think that this is the best team in the American Athletic Conference. I did not think that was going to be the case heading into the season. I thought it would be uh, tournament quality, but not as good as it's been. He's doing he's doing a great job. This is a this is a quality game, by the way, and frankly one that the A-10 both leagues could really use this kind of win. The A-10 really could use St. Louis to, to steal this one, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but it is—it is a nice highlight on Sunday. not nearly as big as Saturday, obviously. Just not as many games, not as many big-time teams playing. You got St. John's trying to stay undefeated with a home game against Wagner. It should be able to do that. But I will say this, just to compare uh, two undefeated teams that are playing on Sunday. I think Houston is more legit than St. John's at this point. I think St. John's is a good team, but I think Houston is uh, is genuinely top twenty-five quality, maybe even top twenty quality overall. Um, it's been uh, it's been impressive g- considering how much they lost uh, throughout. So that is certainly uh, certainly a big game for Sunday. There's I've got an upset lingering, but I'm going to wait on that. I do not know if you wanted to hit anything else before we get to uh, the one that you need to watch for.
0: I just wanted to shout out my Houston Cougars.
1: Yeah. Well, the Houston Cougars deserve a shout out. Okay, so um, there is a team out there that's on the road Sunday and it's been unreal from three point range and only has two losses, Uh, shooting 48.8 percent from three point range, by far the best in uh, in college basketball. And it's got a backcourt duo that is on pace to be the highest scoring combo in its conference in almost 30 years. This team is Indiana State. Uh, they're 6-2. and two. They play at TCU on Sunday. Um, they've got this great combo, Jordan Barnes and Tyreek Key. They've been awesome. Uh, the Valley is actually fairly solid this season. I'm calling the upset here. ISU is going to go, into, yeah, I'm calling it. They're gonna go into TCU, and they're going to pick off the 7-1 and one Frogs. It's going to be a great game. It's going to be a close game. That's a 5 o'clock tip. We're not recording the podcast until after that game is over, so you can either open by uh, just crushing me at the top or give me the props that I deserve, um, seeing what happens there. And then one other quick one. It's not going to draw a huge viewership, but there is a matchup of Cinderella's on Sunday, late Sunday. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast plays at UMBC. I think it's just a cool small deal that college basketball's Little guys, the Cinderellas, are smart enough to uh, to at least play each other. Because you know what? It's on a football Sunday. I get that. But if that ends up being an awesome game with a buzzer beater, it's actually going to get good buzz. The chances of that, of that aren't great. But it's better than not to uh, to have those kind of teams play each other. So Dunk City against uh, the only team to ever win is a 16 seed is also happening on Sunday night. Shout out to the low majors.
0: Did you see what TCU did to USC last week?
1: Have you seen USC? <laughs> like, what? you – I'm <laughs> trying – you're being disrespectful to the horn frogs. <laughs> uh, the quality team got to be in the tournament. Also has lost at home to Lipscomb who's not so bad itself. Uh Lipscomb versus Indiana State. That's a that's a big toss up there. So I just I am liking the Six. I'm liking the Sycamores. Larry Bird's alma mater. Hey, here's a question. Can you name one Indiana State player ever that's not named Larry Bird?
0: Yes. Okay. No did they have a Didn't they have a player of the year like a Couple of years ago,
1: they've had they've had some really quality guys come through. <laughs> come through yeah, the like
0: who am I who am I thinking of that was just awesome? Maybe like a year ago, two years ago, three years ago.
1: You tell me. I don't know who you're thinking of.
0: I'm looking through it right now. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to figure okay. this out.
1: All right, so the answer is you can't, but that's okay because it's it's hard. I'm not I'm not expecting you to. I think you're thinking of Evansville, by the way. Maybe not Indiana State. Am I thinking of Jake Odom? I don't think you are. Was Jake Odom awesome?
0: <laughs> I feel like Jake Odom might have been awesome. Let me look this up real quick. I mean it's Jake Odom college stats. Uh,
1: listen, no podcast out there is gonna give you Jake Odom. We are the only one. You're welcome.
0: Jake Odom was not awesome. He's just okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I th- I have a memory of an Indiana State player being awesome, but uh, there's no evidence that that actually happened.
1: Uh for some reason, I feel like you're confusing Indiana State with like Evansville who had DJ Ballantyne, who is freaking tremendous. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I, it's it's you know, you can confuse these valley teams so easily. Anyway, if Indiana State beats TCU, Jake Oden's getting a shout-out, not at the end, but at the top (laughs) of Sunday night's episode, so be on the lookout for that.
0: You're being disrespectful to the Horn
1: Frogs. (laughs) You got to step out on a ledge every so often, and this weekend is going to give us upsets. We are going to be talking about at least a couple of teams going down that we didn't think would would be the case. I feel it. I feel it in my bones, so we'll see what happens. (laughs)
0: Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell, shouts to Jake Odom. And remember, please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. You're going to rate it favorably. That means five stars. You can put a comment. It's going to be a nice comment. Five stars, nice comments. That's what I want from you. So please go do that. It only takes a, a couple of seconds. And we will talk to you again on Sunday night after TCU handles... Indiana State, I think. Till then, take care.